0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Here to lead you through these hard times, Dada. with your weekly WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, the Silver King is back to break down everything that happened over the last few days on WWE SmackDown and WWE Raw, and. Folks, a lot happened over the last couple of days. WWE is just coming out of the SummerSlam payback back-to-back, the return of Roman Reigns, the injection of Paul Heyman into that storyline. A huge shakeup across almost every title division in the entire company, well, at least the main title divisions in the company. And we are going to have to break all of that down for you today. It's been a wild last three weeks of professional wrestling. I mentioned SummerSlam and Payback. All Out from AEW was this past Saturday, and boy oh boy, was that controversial. If you have not heard it yet, there is AEW All Out instant analysis waiting for you in our stream to listen to. Anyway, let's get to talking about WWE. Normally, I go on this whole long intro, lots of banter back and forth. With Chris Vanini, my co-host today. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini, but neither of us have all the time in the world for today's show. So the time that we do have, we want to dedicate to talking about WWE. So very quickly, before we get to that, be sure to follow me, The Silver King, on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. But more importantly, follow our show at Getting Overcast. And do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star rating and review. Whenever you're done, every single rating and review helps the show grow. And in case you are a first-time listener, I don't say this very often, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We are available on literally every podcast platform that is out there. So hit that subscribe button, subscribe to Getting Over, and listen to us in your ear holes every couple of days. So with that, we are gonna jump into talking WWE, and the way we do that on Tuesdays is by entering the main event. This is the main event. So, Chris, I know uh, didn't really get to you there in the opening. Welcome to the show. Uh, this was a week filled basically to the brim with controversy, with um, I don't know, just big picture topics from WWE for us
1: to discuss. It was, and uh, make sure. Vintage Chris Vanini We got to push that out. Yeah, and we got to get it out to, to the masses. Uh, it's going to be on T-shirts. It's going to be on everything. So don't worry <laughs> about that. Yeah, no, there was so much wrestling and so much interesting wrestling going on while college football started. So I was half of mine there, half of mine in wrestling. I had to go back and watch a lot of this wrestling because I saw so many interesting things happen. I had to go figure out what was going on. And uh, yeah, we have a
0: lot to talk about. We do. And Let's just get into it, honestly, because we could go on and on. I One thing we'll also mention at some point on today's show is WWE's decree, for lack of a better term, about what superstars can do with their Twitches and cameos and YouTubes. I'll, I'll find some time to talk about that. Maybe we'll hit it at the very end of the show. I do feel like it's something that got really blown out of proportion. I mentioned it on Twitter. I think a lot of people ended up sharing that tweet. So thank you for that. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that topic, but I want to get into wrestling. I want to talk about what happened over the last few days on television. And the main topic, the number one thing on everyone's lips is Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman. The first time we really get to see them to got to see them together in a substantial way where there was some meat on the bone to chew. So I want to talk about the superficial stuff first, get that out of the way, and then we can talk everything else from a look and entrance standpoint, they kept that big dog like logo, you know, in the background, but they changed Roman's augmented reality from a barking dog to him like standing with his crotch, like shoved outwards into our faces. And somehow that was an improvement over the barking dog. So I guess thumbs up on that. They kept the music. And while I was against that, I did want them to change it it actually kind of works as a heel theme. So in that regard, I guess I'm okay with them keeping the music. The look is strong, though we've yet to see a scenario where we would know whether he's wearing the vest or not. So far, it's been black pants, kind of combat pants-esque, but I don't remember seeing gloves and he's wearing a t-shirt. So at least he seems to be a little bit more real in that regard. But I think as long as they take that vest out of the equation, ultimately, ultimately with this heel Roman Reigns, we're going to be OK. So from a super, superficial standpoint, Chris, I'm going to say so far, so good.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think it was it might have been the payback show. I, I said he's in that stage where he was Anakin Skywalker who turned to the dark side, but was not yet Darth Vader and that there were going to be some slow transitions into some other things where we're still kind of getting there. I agree on the theme. It, it always has been more of a heel theme, so I, I think that that's fine as well, but uh, the, the the crotch thing was weird, and I got to say, when it, in terms of what he's going to wear, we, we got to see when he's in a match, what's he going to wear, and I have a feeling that they are going, He's I have a feeling he's going to be shirtless, because we'll talk about the, the promos in a minute, but he talks about this is my island. They Paul called him the tribal chief, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's got those, you know, Pacific Island tattoos on him. He's got
0: new ones. He's got new ones,
1: too. Yeah. So yeah. once so 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 I, I feel like once he has a big match, big moment, he'll be shirtless. You'll see all that stuff. It'll play into what they seem to be kind of aiming where to go with
0: this character and how
1: we kind of view him.
0: I think it made sense for him to have the shirt on when he had the, I guess, debut match or the, his return match, the triple threat where he won the title, because you're running in, right? You're running in, you're supposed to cause wreck everyone and leave. That was the goal. um, And he successfully did that. So why are you removing your shirt in that scenario? So that's okay. And there hasn't really been another reason. But yeah, when we get him in a situation where he has a formal match where the bell rings, it's gonna be curious to see what they do. Because if this guy is just gonna show up in the vest and he's the exact same looking guy, but he's a heel then they're just not pulling that trigger and doing the full rotation towards heel that they really need to be doing. So let's hope that's not the case. Let's hope they um, they understand what this guy has. I mean, from a superficial standpoint, he's a built. Like this guy's an Adonis, right? He should be showing off his body as a professional wrestler and looking intimidating to these other guys. And the vest protector to me, initially when it was in the shield, it was fine because it was their gimmick. But once the shield ended, it didn't make sense. It's like, why does this guy need this protection when he's supposed to be a badass? Why, and why does he get it when other people don't? I mean, there's two people that have worn vests like that in the history of wrestling. Roman Reigns and D'Lo Brown. <laughs> yeah. And D'Lo Brown at least had a frog splash finisher where you, it kind of came into play a little bit. So I've just never really understood it. But OK, that's the super. And, and,
1: and, and, and remember, we got shirtless Roman Reigns in Hobbs and Shaw.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, you saw this kind of major motion picture and you're like, uh, holy shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, for the look, so, so far, a temporary Big dog. All right, now let's move on to the rest. Uh, enjoyed Paul Heyman's promo immensely. Thought it was a really nice mix of work and shoot about Heyman being cast aside, you know, in real life by WWE as an executive director and the same thing happening to Reigns, despite him fighting through illness to over-deliver for WWE and its fans. It was a nice twist that Heyman broke kayfabe and went after the idea of the fiend or a monster being champion and how stupid that is for a company like WWE, while mentioning that Reigns reached out to him and not the other way around. I also liked that Reigns then grabbed the mic from Heyman and is not standing there being silent like Brock Lesnar was. I think people forget Brock's not an incredible promo But when he speaks, he does a very good job. Mm -hmm. Reigns is better than Lesnar. Now, Reigns wasn't great, obviously. But ever since that feud with Cena, which was largely a sink or swim moment for him on the mic, he's been stronger than not when given the opportunity to speak. And it doesn't seem like they're really scripting him. So he can work the mic just fine these days. And as a cocky and arrogant heel, it works for me that you have Heyman kind of setting it up and then Reigns coming in at the end and knocking it down.
1: Yeah, I, I I like that um Paul was whispering when he was doing a lot of his promo, not doing the complete opposite he does with Brock. He wasn't gonna come in and be the ladies and gentlemen, I'm you know, mm-hmm. I'm the advocate and be loud. No, he's gonna be quiet and calm and in in kind of a a quiet confidence uh setting up around Roman Reigns. So that all worked. There was again a problem. I, with the audio, you know, the Thunderdome audio, it, it it sounded like Paul Heyman was talking in the middle of a crowd, like a crowded street or something. It's just mm-hmm. it, you can hear people talking around him. That's not again. They need to turn that down when promos are going on, because when there are fans there, it's quiet when there's a promo. You don't need those fans making noise when someone's doing a promo. It's very, very distracting. Um, other than that, I, I thought it was fine it, like in terms of the explanation from roman i mean basically he's kind of done dealing with people's crap and he's just gonna do what he wants now so i i i think that's fine i, I think it made sense that the idea that roman reached out to him uh so it, it it was it was fine there was no like massive why roman why explanation type of thing um because again, he was technically kind of going up against two heels, so you he, so you can't really do that as well. I, I I didn't like Heyman saying it's dumb for a company to have a monster or a fiend as the as the champion. We know it's we know the fiend is like a weird thing, like in real life. So we don't need Paul Heyman kind of telling us that. I they've really leaned into that. I mean, even when Roman was calling him a clown with a mask or something after uh, after SummerSlam, I think so. Not a fan, not a big fan of how they're kind of referring to Bray here, but maybe I'm being a little bit nitpicky.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, personally, I think you are because it, there's still plenty of runway for The Fiend and for Braun Strowman. And I think while we are, or while I praised it, and maybe you had an issue with it in the moment, it's going to be forgotten about. Like, you're, People are not going to harp on the fact sure. that The Fiend and Strowman. But, but the, the other thing is, I, I just don't want it to, I just don't want it to keep going because it's not like people would tell the Undertaker he was fake, you know. No, but but the thing like is but the thing is it's very true and it, and it goes back to what we said on the podcast um, or what I've said multiple times on this show, which is that the Fiend doesn't need a title. There are certain people who don't need titles. Brock Lesnar doesn't need a title, The Fiend, Braun Strowman and Goldberg. Those guys don't need titles and the Fiend by putting him in that title match with Seth Rollins at Hell in a Cell they permanently changed the course of that character in a way that it didn't need to be changed. They made a title something that he sought when his entire character was based off of revenge. So because of that, to me, it's just, it, it was always stupid for him to do that. Now, do you need to call it out and say, well, The Fiend being a representation of your company is stupid? I can see your argument there, but in reality, it is stupid. So that's why I like the Heyman promo so much is, it was a workshoot. It did mix kayfabe and reality and spoke a lot of truths about things that happened while simultaneously keeping them in a storyline realm. And, that, and that's what I appreciated about it. And that's what Paul does maybe better than anyone. He knows that thin line and knows when to push and knows when to step over and pull back. And he was really successful doing it. But I loved that interaction in the ring. I also loved the interactions backstage with Jey Uso, because it made a ton of sense for the character. I was a little bit dismayed at first when Reigns like, brushed him off, only to see him in the number one contendership match later, with Reigns only being mildly interested in his success. And the reason why is because an actual Samoan dynasty, Samoan bloodline storyline, with the Usos aligning with Reigns for more than those occasional six-man tag matches where it's necessary and he needs that backup that is something that's insanely interesting and with Jey Uso still healthy you can kind of start them working together a little bit then when Jimmy comes back you have them officially turn heel with Reigns and now you have a heel f- group on Smackdown and you find someone else to add I forgot who it was that came on screen if it was like Sean Maluda or like so I I forgot who it was but there was a couple other Samoans that are working out at the Performance Center. You add them in, and now you have a faction with Roman Reigns as a heel leader and Paul Heyman as the mouthpiece, and and you have something that's really exciting. So initially, I was just a little bothered that he brushed Jay off in that regard, but then he gets him in that number one contendership match. We'll talk about that entire match momentarily and, and what happened, but he gets him in the number one contender match, and I'm like... I'm intrigued by this. Like this is some pretty good booking.
1: Yeah, and if you if you want a um, a Samoan stable or group, uh, you could throw Samoa Joe in there. He doesn't. He's not. Yeah, he doesn't, I know. He, I know he's not part of the family. I know it doesn't it's really weird. fit. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't fit because Paul Heyman's the, the the mouthpiece of that group. But yes. imagine if there was one in, in Simone, Joe was their group I just while we're fantasy booking I'm just throwing that out there as well but um yeah no it was interesting I like that you know they meet backstage they're talking and Heyman's a bit skeptical but Roman tells him it's fine you know Jay saying you haven't been responding to my calls or my texts that kind of indicates to me that they're not going the Simone stable route uh but you right. know I guess I guess you could Change it if, if you need to. It, well, that's it seems that's think, what it I was seems... saying, though. I was, disappoint- I, I was yeah, disappointed. I Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it seems like Roman, everything he's doing right now is is about himself uh, mm-hmm. as a character. So I, I think it made sense.
0: Now, maybe there will be a change. Maybe he doesn't necessarily believe in Jay, but he will win his affection over because what we got later in the show was a fatal four way number one contendership match with the winner facing Roman Reigns at Clash of Champions. And we initially had Biggie as the fourth person in this match, along with Matt Riddle, King Corbin, and Sheamus, only for Biggie to be replaced by Jay Uso. And the why to get replaced? Let's kind of break down what happened here. So you had earlier in the show Biggie's getting ready to throw a party for Xavier Woods, who's in town because uh, he's going to do Talking Smack. He's now the host of that. But Sheamus lures him into the parking lot and delivers a brutal Irish curse. Into a car windshield. I popped for that. Man, that was awesome. I thought it was really smart booking to injure Biggie and give him an excuse for not competing in that match because then he doesn't have to lose it, right? Simultaneously while con- continuing his feud with Sheamus. So if Biggie's not going to win, he doesn't need to be in the match. And they figured out a really smart way to promote the match with him, get people excited, and make Sheamus an even bigger heel by taking him out of it. Then we get to the match itself. The match itself was hot. It was a great main event. Jay got a lot of good work in. I loved Corbin throwing him over the first row of screens in the (laughs) Thunderdome. I definitely thought Matt Riddle was going to win and it sure looked like he was going to when he hit that floating bro after Sheamus hit the bro kick. But all of a sudden, Jay comes flying out of nowhere, which I should have thought about because he was in the Thunderdome and then you you don't see him and it's always that guy who ends up winning comes in out of nowhere off the top rope with the frog splash in a shocker and wins. And he's now going to face his cousin, Roman Reigns, a clash of champions. And I'm shocked. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe they did this. But it makes complete sense when you really think about it, given the options, because you're not going to do heel versus heel. So Corbin and Sheamus weren't going to win. And you want Reigns to look extremely strong in his first title defense. So having him Do that against Riddle would have potentially stunted Riddle's growth. and Or if not, and you make it close, then you're making it look like Reigns, this guy who should be dominant, is just able to get by Matt Riddle. We all know Reigns is going to retain a Clash of Champions, so it didn't matter who his challenger was. But this storyline at least provides something interesting. And we always talk about, hey, why don't they just take some of these guys these tag team guys, and occasionally give them opportunities. You see it in AEW. They're kind of doing it a little bit with Scorpio Sky. Well, Jey Uso, does he deserve a Universal Championship match over some other people? I I don't think he deserves it, quote unquote. But it's interesting booking. It's something fresh and different and new that we were not expecting. And we're going to get some Uso on Uso violence. And I'm really excited for it.
1: No, he does deserve the title shot. In kayfabe, because in kayfabe. he won, yes. he won the match. Like, like I'm I, 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 talking about I,
0: in the greater. Context. No, I, I know,
1: I know, but I'm just saying, I, I I'm so much more approve when they do something like this and someone wins their way to a number one contendership. They, like, they really, we need more number one contendership matches in WWE, and and and, I can get behind anybody if they win a match to get there, as opposed to just a random attack backstage and then that leads to a three month feud, like just you know right. this is supposed supposed to be a sport you know do sports things and someone gets a match and i'm fine with it and that was an awesome finish the way they timed it up like jay had left the top rope like before riddle had hit the ground so and riddle's spinning so he has to hit the ground and be on his back and flat by the time jay lands on him uh that was extremely well executed out of nowhere, awesome finish. Uh, match was fun. And, and and going back to the big E stuff, um, it was disappointing because you 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 want we want Big E to win. We want Big E to be in that match and win that match. And now you know he he won't be in it. Uh and it you know creates some heat on, on and Sheamus for that. And man, they have really been going after cars these past <laughs> I know. Past in the yeah. pandemic era. There have been so many people thrown onto cars, cars destroyed, uh, whatever that, that appears to be the, uh, the weapon of choice, uh, in the pandemic era of WWE. So, uh, yeah, it it was, well, it was, again, it was a something SmackDown has done well. It was a story kind of generally told throughout the night through various things. It it took us on a journey from start to end. Very well done. And I have absolutely no problem with Jay winning and, and I'm excited to see how the match goes.
0: Yeah, I mean, to that point, think about what we just talked about. We talked about multiple backstage segments, an in-ring promo and a match, all just in one main event topic, right? And that, and that is, it's a two-hour show. This storyline probably took up 45 minutes of a two-hour show. And when you look at Raw, just by comparison, and yeah, they did that too. They did weave some storylines through the show. But you see a lot of repetition and a lot of stuff that just, especially on this past Monday night, Didn't need to be in the show. They could have saved for next week. They could have gotten other people. Mustafa Ali, where the hell are you? Oh, you're on main events still. Um, Getting these people on the show. But then you look at SmackDown and you're like, they have plenty of people they're not using, but they figured out a way to tell an incredible story over 45 minutes with how many people? Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, Jey Uso, Biggie, Matt Riddle, King Corbin and Sheamus, like six or seven people all involved in a singular storyline over the course of of a night. And it was expert level. That's expert level booking. It's as good as it gets, right? And I just, I thought they did a great job. Now, that was not the only big storyline that took place over a significant amount of time on SmackDown this past Friday, because we did have a rematch for the Women's Tag Team Championship with Sasha Banks and Bayley trying to get their titles back against Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, who won the titles at Payback. And this was quite an effort, again, from WWE. There was a really nice touch before the match began, referring to Baszler tapping Banks out three times in a row during the backstage interview. And I liked that there were no teases in it because they were focused as a team and they they were trying to get ready to go for this match. This was a good match overall. I liked the dual swings into the barricade early. We saw consistently good action throughout. Banks going knee-first into the ring post was smart because it made her look gutsy while simultaneously showing that Baszler's absolutely ruthless going after her knees. Banks sold it like a total G, and it was clear she was being booked throughout the entire match as an underdog face. I also loved the finish with Jax hitting a double crossbody and pinning both of them. This was some really good booking once again, even better than the pay-per-view match, I think. And... Yes, you can continuously say that Nia Jax, you know, is a weak link. But in a tag team match with four women, three of whom are really good, all at different types of things, some of those flaws are being hidden. So I thought the pay-per-view finish was better. But I thought this TV match was better. And we're going to talk about everything else that happened afterward. But in terms of the match itself, in terms of Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax retaining, I thought this worked exceedingly well.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I guess nothing to really add. It it was, it made sense why they did it. Um, I'm not a big fan of, you know, rematch type things right off the bat, but you know, it was pretty clear where we needed to get and, and how to get us there. Um, the finish with Naya going off the rope and and cross spotting, both of them was, uh, those are the kind of things you kind of hold your breath on when, 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 Jax does, and you hope everybody's okay. And it seemed like it worked out, worked out and, The Sasha knee thing also helps set up what came next and gives us a reason to maybe uh, write Sasha off for a bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, everything was done extremely well. And certainly by the time this match ended, you kind of felt like something was coming. I didn't expect it to happen in the moment, but whenever WWE lingers... Just a little bit longer than they otherwise would have, right? Like, you know, hey, you know, you're going to get 15 seconds, 20 seconds post-match reaction. Then they're going to go to a backstage segment. But whenever it's a little bit longer, you know, they're either they're trying to tell you something is going to happen in the future or, hey, keep watching because something's going to happen right now. And that's what happened. Uh, I think this entire time we expected Sasha Banks to kind of lose her cool at her friend not really being a true friend in Bailey, But that's not what they did uh they decided to turn bailey ex- extra heel that's the only way i can explain it like doubling down on bailey being a heel piece of shit as opposed to having banks make a face turn i don't know that it was the decision i would have made i probably would have booked it the other way with banks finally breaking after getting sick of being treated poorly maybe after bailey tapped quickly to lose the rematch or something because she didn't care about the women's tag team titles as much as she did her SmackDown Women's Championship. But just because I wouldn't book it that way doesn't mean it was wrong. And it doesn't mean it wasn't good because this was exceedingly well done. Bailey's attack on someone who was her former best friend to the level that she attacked her was brutal. I mean, Bailey absolutely kicked the shit out of Sasha Banks outside of the ring, inside of the ring. She took out her injured knees, she hit her finisher and then snapped her freaking neck in a chair. This is yeah. as brutal of a beatdown as a woman has ever given another woman in WWE. I think it needed to explode that way and I just expected it coming from the other way, but like I said, just because it was counter to my expectation doesn't make it bad. Uh this was fantastic.
1: Yeah, no, I I it was Vicious and brutal, just, just like you said, very well done. And I think it accomplished several things. One, you don't want the moment where Sasha fights back at Bailey. You want to hope to maybe have a crowd for that moment. Um, so you save that. You You beat her up here. You injure her so she can stay off for a few weeks, whatever you want to do. Push, You know, we all wanted Sasha Bailey to be a WrestleMania thing, but just the way the calendar was working, the way the, the crowd situation is, it just really wasn't going to happen. So, you, you, but you can still try to buy some time. And I think that's what they're going to try to do here. Um, maybe it's a Survivor Series. Maybe it's a Hell in a Cell. Um, it wasn't going to be Class of Champions. So, you know, we'll see where this goes. A few weeks from now, maybe, but hopefully, you know, we don't get Sasha returning after one week or anything like that, because you really got to sell what they did there. So I think it was I think it was well executed. I think they have a plan uh, down the road. And, and I, yeah, just
0: another thing that was very well executed on SmackDown. Well, I do think she's going to be on SmackDown Friday to address it. Now, that doesn't mean she's going to be there in person. I hope it's via satellite with her in a neck brace, like in her apartment or something like that. Right. But I, I think that there is some type of addressing of the Sasha Bank situation that's going to happen on Friday. I'm going to address that the time off thing that you that you talked about. Before I do, though, I want to kind of point out why this was so good, because you have to remember, everyone knew a turn was going to come, right? You knew something was going to happen. So if you're WWE, the question you ask yourself is, how do you make it impactful, given people are expecting it? and to what i was saying a moment ago you do the opposite of the expectation bailey attacking instead of sasha and then number 2 you make it memorable and this succeeded because it made bailey an even bigger heel more obsessed with her title and sasha now on the other side has a pure fair incontrovertible reasoning to go full face mm-hmm. when this feud kind of blows up you know even further And as you pointed out, this also gives the rivalry some much needed air because this match needs to happen at a major show. So now you have Sasha Banks out of action for about a month, let's say, or maybe longer when she comes back, what happens? So they have a couple options. Number one, if they do decide to do an Evolution pay-per-view this year, because as of today, they do not have a pay-per-view announced for October. That would be pretty quick, though. OK, let's just be honest. But you could figure out a way for her to come back, attack Bailey, make that the main event of Evolution too. Huge match and everyone's excited for it and it's going to sell and everyone's happy. But I don't think you do that. Let's book the damn territory a little bit. OK, let's do it. I have Sasha Banks out for a month to eight weeks, so four to eight weeks. They can figure out the time. When she comes back, she attacks Bailey. beats the crap out of her. The next week, you hold the WWE draft, and you draft Sasha Banks to Raw. She cuts a promo the first night she's on Raw that just because she's on another brand, just because she's going to be going after the Raw Women's Championship, does not mean she's forgotten about what Bailey's done to her, and she will have her revenge. Fast forward a few months, Sasha Banks wins the Royal Rumble. And you have a three-month build between Sasha Banks and Bailey to WrestleMania. Sasha Banks beats Bailey, takes the SmackDown women's championship after the longest reign in title history, and she's back on SmackDown after that. But that's how I book it. That that's a lot. I it, my
1: here, here's an idea. It's very much a long shot, but it starts with what you say. Maybe they do a draft in October, end of September, or whatever. Sasha gets moved to Raw. She wants Bailey, but she can't. Get Bailey, so she decides she wants to win the raw women's championship, so she can fight Bailey at Survivor Series in a champion versus champion match, and uh, that can start. Something. I don't know. That just came to mind as an idea as well.
0: The only problem with that is then you're having Asuka
1: lose it again. <laughs> you are, but <laughs> maybe someone someone interferes on behalf of somebody and Asuka moves on to something else. Who knows? Asuka's, you know, she's Asuka. She she's can fine. Lose. Yeah. It's fine. She's fine. So, you know, maybe that's not the same as I want to take Bailey's championship away because that's her most important thing. You know, you, you do it from there. Uh, but it's certain, you know, stretching it out to WrestleMania, I, I'm very curious because if we go three months where Sasha's just really not interacting with Bailey in that feud. And it's not until the Royal rumble that it comes back. Are we going to be as hot for it again as, as we are right now? I I don't know. It's, it's a tough spot. It's it's
0: a long, it would be a long stretch. You're right.
1: They needed, they did need to pull the trigger uh, at this point. It sucks that they have to do this without fans and, 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 and all that. But, um, you know, there, there are some ways that I think they can still make something pretty good out of this.
0: Yeah. Pushing it to WrestleMania 37. I mean, yes, you're talking a long stretch. I I recognize you're talking six months, right? And maybe seven months almost. And that's going to be difficult. But I do think you don't necessarily have to worry about the WrestleMania date. You're really worried about the Royal Rumble date. How do you get us from now to the Royal Rumble where that feud starts? Because... She wins the Royal Rumble. There'd be no question who she's going after, right? The next night you're announcing it. I I, I don't know. Um, And it's difficult given the circumstances. I I don't see, I hope, I I pray they are not fighting a clash of champions. Uh, I also pray that they're not fighting a Survivor Series because while I do not think the feud actually needs the title, a title versus title match almost it's almost superficial. It almost blows it off as something less important than it otherwise would be, which is a blood feud.
1: It the, is, it is. The, it the was title just, versus it, yeah.
0: title stipulation makes it makes matches interesting that otherwise may not be. I mean, look, I would love to see Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre in any circumstance, but the fact that it might be a champion versus champion at Survivor Series, that's really exciting. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: no, It, it would. it's a vehicle to... It's, it's working backwards, essentially, is what would be a way to give Sasha a a path she has to cross before getting to Bailey, essentially, you know, as right. opposed to just wait till she's healthy and then they have their match just throwing something again. I'm just throwing it out there. No,
0: it's, it's, it's really tough. And then the question is, if you do that, then what the hell do you do with Bailey for seven months because she's beaten everyone? You're yeah. going to keep her champion for seven more. It's 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 very difficult booking what I put together. Um, maybe you ever lose the title and then she wins it back at the Royal Rumble or something like that. Maybe you do something where Sasha fights Bailey at the Royal Rumble, so she works her way to that match, loses because Bailey cheats, then she enters the Royal Rumble, wins the Royal Rumble, and beats Bailey. There's a million different ways you can do it, but at this point, when you consider the pay per views that are coming up, you want them at a big show, and they don't have a big show left. So unless their goal maybe is to have it at Hell in a Cell and do Bailey versus Sasha Banks and Hell in a Cell, that I can buy. And if they want to make that the main event of Hell in a Cell, then I can buy that and do the draft immediately afterward. So you have a huge match, you separate them. Maybe Sasha wins that, you separate them, and then you figure out what to do from there. And maybe that's the end of the feud. You know, WrestleMania doesn't have to be
1: this, the first match of the feud either. You know, you could maybe do a Hell in a Cell and there's another injury angle, or do a Survivor Series, and then there's a draft, and then she needs to fight to get her way back to Bailey. Maybe, maybe they do fight in Survivor Series, and Bailey wins and by cheating, and Sasha then gets traded, and now she's got to work her way back up. Then wins the Royal Rumble, then comes after Bailey again. So I, I, there are different ways you can stretch this out with, and, and still have them fight, and it not be the end of the feud. You know?
0: Yeah. No, you're right. And maybe, maybe it's a combination of what we're talking about. Maybe it is. You build it up for Hell in a Cell, you make it the main event. Maybe you have Bayley win because she figured, you know, she hurts Sasha's knee that was already injured, right? So there's an excuse. Then Sasha takes a break, is able to come back, Royal Rumble, blah, blah, blah. So I do think there may be a combination where you get them to fight immediately or semi immediately, um, and then also work the long term storyline for WrestleMania. But I just think this feud is so big and so important that it needs a major match. Now, that's SmackDown in terms of the two main event topics, let's move over to Raw before we get on to everything else that happened on the shows. And the main storyline on Raw this past Monday night, a rough edition of Raw, if I may say, is Drew McIntyre getting his revenge on Randy Orton. So earlier in the show, they have Orton declaring that he should be champion if McIntyre doesn't show up for Clash of Champions. McIntyre then brings an ambulance into the arena. And hits Orton with the claymore, despite being not being cleared to compete or even be there. There's nothing wrong with that, per se, but it was a bit formulaic to me. We have seen that hundreds of times in wrestling. Later in the show, you have Randy Orton beating Keith Lee um, by disqualification, it turns out, in their match. I popped for Lee, using his center of gravity to stop the RKO twice. Yeah. I did think, however, this was the worst of their three matches, <clears throat> Excuse me, by a pretty good margin. It felt like they were moving in slow motion, and there was nothing memorable really to take from it. The booking was also blatantly obvious because they wanted Orton to look strong with an RKO, but simultaneously not hurt Lee with a pinfall. So they had McIntyre run in and hit the Claymore for the second time already that night. Then McIntyre comes back later, and hits a third mimicking the three RKOs. So the opening segment and the match itself did nothing for me, but... I did think it was good booking to have McIntyre get even with Orton while continuously finding reasons to kind of stick around and avoid Adam Pearce. You had Pearce giving him crap for not being cleared, McIntyre lying that he was going to leave the arena. That worked, and it showed that Orton has affected the mind, really, of Drew McIntyre. It's also good booking considering neither of them hit their finish at SummerSlam, so it sells how devastating both the RKO and the Claymore can ultimately be.
1: Yeah, it was weird. Drew driving an ambulance back in because it's not like he went to the hospital earlier that day. It's usually kind of what you get these types of things. The ambulance was—what did that happen? Two weeks ago? A week or two weeks ago? I mean, was he in the hospital for a week and then just came out? No, I don't. That it—it it seemed unnecessary in terms of that. Um, I—I'm I, not. It the the Drew and Adam Pierce stuff made sense, but I'm not yet there where this feels like a blood feud. And what they did tonight was kind of, or Monday night was kind of inching toward that. Like Drew is trying to find the fire and how much he hates Randy Orton. But I I mean, he he punted him a few times and apparently he's okay within a month. You know, it's not like there hasn't, he hasn't been like something terrible has happened to him or his family or something that, that he wants revenge on. So I, they're, they're, they're trying to build this up. Haven't quite gotten, I haven't quite
0: connected with that fire they're trying to sell me yet. You know, I'll disagree with that. I do feel the heat in the feud. I, I feel like McIntyre hates Orton. Orton hates McIntyre enough. Where I have an issue is the way Keith Lee was utilized. That that was my biggest problem on Monday night. And I mean, look, I'm not going to call anyone out individually. You guys know it because you probably have seen it online. There's someone out there prominently questioning whether Keith Lee has already been ruined three weeks into his main roster run in WWE. And yeah. I'm like, I'm like, this is a guy who beat a 13 time world champion, has pretty much devastated him most of the times they fought. And just in this match in particular, showed that his massive size is not enough to hit an RKO on. You need some momentum. You need to wear him down. And even then, the guy didn't get pinned. He hasn't eaten a clean pen yet. So, no, I think Keith Lee's being booked fine, but yes, on this show if you only watched the 3 hours of Raw, you'd say, "Oh, this guy Keith Lee is kind of not really that important." I thought it was the weakest that he's been booked and the you know, the worst he's looked in terms of the way the match went down, like I said it was slow and plodding and I wasn't excited by it like I was all of his prior appearances, and they also didn't give him any mic time. So, despite McIntyre's interference, happening well before the end of the show, they didn't go back to him in the backstage area like they did the week prior or a couple of weeks prior and have him say, look, this is Drew's making a habit of this. This is a problem. Now, if you watched Raw Talk, which most people don't. OK, there's two million viewers of Raw. And I don't know, there's probably what, 100,000, you know, or a couple hundred thousand who watch Raw Talk. Keith Lee cut a great promo on Drew McIntyre. And he's like, look, we are friends, but this is becoming a habit and there, and this is going to be a problem if this keeps happening. You know, I, I'm respecting your title reign. You need to respect that I'm debuting on Raw and trying to make a name for myself. So Keith Lee is in the right storyline and they're booking him well, but you cannot give him that promo opportunity on Raw Talk. That has to be on the main show because you want this guy to be standing up for himself to the WWE champion. And even if it's I, a couple of weeks ago, they just did it on a solo mic situation. They're, they're rolling Randy Orton out of there on a stretcher, right? They're yelling at Drew McIntyre to get out of there. You have Keith Lee walk up to Adam Pearce. I'll get him out of here. Grab McIntyre, not forcefully like, you know, he's going to hurt him or beat him up, but like take him away from the situation and say, Drew, we got to talk. We have a problem right now. I understand you want your revenge, but you got to stay out of my business as well. We're friends and, you know, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. So you need to give Keith Lee that. He needs that meat. He needs the meat on the bone. I don't necessarily need (laughs) big meaty men slapping meat. (laughs) I mean, it is what I want to see, but you need big meaty men talking meat at least. And that's what you're going to get if you put Keith Lee in that situation with Drew McIntyre. So they just got to handle Keith Lee a little bit better. But for anyone that is suggesting that Keith Lee is ruined or has been given up on after three weeks, I mean, I would love to, I wish this was an explicit show because I would say a curse word in a phrase that's GFY. Okay? That that's what I would say.
1: Yeah, no, the the, the booking's been fine. It's the character development that st- still needs a little bit of work, and that is typically the case with everything everybody in, in WWE these days. At any time they hype up Keith Lee and Drew as friends, it helps Keith. When they did that the NXT WWE title champions bit on YouTube, I thought that was great. They should have thrown that somewhere on some show. And then, you know. Keeping Keith Lee in the championship picture while not being involved in the match uh, helps him. It, it, it further legitimizes him that, oh, he's a he's a, a colleague of Drew McIntyre's. Drew, they, they view each other on the same level and Drew's a champion. Also, he's has and kicking Randy Orton's ass. Randy Orton's the number one contender. So they've got the 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 the, the, the foundation there. They just got to get the the superficial stuff more a bit and just in terms of that character for sure
0: absolutely now we are out of the main event so let's discuss what went down on smackdown and raw over the last few days in the main event of raw on monday night we had dominic mysterio defeat murphy one-on-one in a street fight basically due to submission or knockout i don't even know specifically what they're calling it but murphy quit and why did he quit because he got the absolute shit kicked out of him by Dominic Mysterio and the entire Mysterio family uh, to, to start this, you know, entire angle um, on at least on Monday, the promos were fine. It was nice to hear Murphy speak. And Dominic was pretty good, even though he cut Murphy off at one point. I did think it was pretty funny that Murphy was like, I'm going to end your career. And Dominic's basically like, OK, I'm going to end your life. <laughs> I was like, OK, so you're not going to let him breathe anymore. OK, that's interesting, Dominic. You're getting pretty, uh pretty hardcore out there. Uh, the whole family coming out. For the entrance with Kendo sticks, that popped me. And Dominic's crossbody off the Thunderdome was absolutely ridiculous. That was such an awesome move. This match did get slower after that until Dominic hit that absolutely incredible sliding sunset flip power bomb that Rey Mysterio does, driving Murphy into the table propped up at ringside. Murphy made Dominic look like an absolute stud in this match that guy sold his freaking ass off for a 23 year old kid just as much credit as dominic deserves for looking awesome that same amount of credit should be given to murphy for making him look awesome absolutely incredible job i loved um them locking murphy in the ropes and ray screaming at the camera that screaming at seth rollins that payback is a bitch. And then the family coming into the ring and all taking kendo stick shots at him. That was awesome. A live crowd, if we were lucky enough to have one for this moment, would have gone crazy. This is the type of moment and the type of booking we want, you want to talk talk about like sending fans home happy. The only way they would have been happier is if this happened to Seth Rollins. They would have gone nuts for this. They also figured out a way to have Dominic win without pinning Murphy. So anyone who thinks Murphy was buried because a couple of women who are not wrestlers hit him with kendo sticks, it's wrong. He was selling. This was awesome. Murphy was awesome. Dominic was awesome. And despite me really not liking Raw on Monday night, this main event was awesome.
1: 100%. And and when when this started and it's like, oh, street fight, anything goes, his whole family's there. Why did they not just all go after Murphy and beat him up as a
0: team because well, I mean, they wanted I, him because Ray's no, no, like, no. Hey, I want him to succeed on his own. Right, you know?
1: right, 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 right. It, I'm just normally when these situations come up and in triple threats or whatever, it's like, there's always a little bit of a little bit hole, a little hole in the rules, the Kayfabe rules. And they the, you have that idea. And then at the end they do come in and everybody does it and it's perfectly legal and it's allowed. And it's just, it made perfect sense in all these Kayfabe rules. So I, I I popped for that for somebody being smart. And uh, yeah, Murphy is one of the best sellers in the game. We know that
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, Dominic continues to just look like an absolute natural every time we see him. And, you know, I don't think this is Murphy being buried. I don't know. You know, obviously it made sense why Seth didn't come out to help him or nobody came out to help him because of what Seth has been saying to him in the last couple of weeks since Summerslam or Payback or whatever it was. So all of this made sense. I would love to see Murphy kind of take that Dolph Ziggler role at some point of, you know, he this is the guy who's gonna make someone look like a million bucks. You know, that that's what Ziggler's done forever. And Ziggler's obviously better on the mic and is a former world champion and stuff like that. But Murphy could be that guy. And I think you're right. He absolutely deserves a lot of credit for what he did as well in that match.
0: I mean this this is a Murphy podcast. This is a Buddy Murphy podcast. It has been since day one. I don't think we've really discussed him, but I, I think he has the the ceiling of a main eventer. He, he's yeah. that good in the ring. He's good on the mic when given the opportunity. He's still young in terms of his time in WWE and on Raw. So it's fine. They've been involving him frequently. My concern here is he just really got his ass kicked. So next yeah. week, does he reunite with Seth? Does Seth kind of take an injured guy again under his wing? Is Seth the worst stable leader of all time considering... Austin Theory's back on NXT, AOP got fired, and now he lost Murphy in the stable that we were so excited about, now doesn't exist. You know, what are they going to do with this storyline? But I did think that it was smart because Ray is unable to wrestle and his timetable is a little bit up in the air. I have the feeling in my head we're going to get Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio at Hell in a Cell, and I have a feeling that Rey Mysterio is going to win that match and that'll finally be the end of it. But... They needed something to kind of give a little bit of a break. And you know what? If next week, if we don't see Dominic or Ray or or Seth, I'm okay with it. You know, I think that's fine. I don't know that they'll do that because Raw right now seems to be repetition central where we get the same stuff every week. And we're going to talk about that momentarily. But. I don't know. I'm I'm excited for Dominic's future. Murphy, I think, deserves big time opportunities. I would love to see him in the mid-card title picture on either brand. And I'm just really curious with where they're going to go with Seth Rollins now because the match that needs to happen is Rey Mysterio, Seth Rollins, blow off. And there's now a lot of time left. And I don't know how they're going to get to that. And I don't know what's going to happen with Murphy, whether he's now going to go by the land of Mustafa Ali and get forgotten about, or whether he's going to rejoin with Seth and and Rollins will kind of take the injured bird and and rehab him and heal him again, and maybe turn him into something even greater than he was. So that is what I'm interested to see about this feud. Another big feud developing on Raw is Kevin Owens against Aleister Black, and they announced the match for the show about a couple hours before Raw began, and I did not notice in the advertisement that they were advertising it for Raw Underground. When I saw that, I was iffy, because on one hand I said, you know, it would be exciting, but they're not going to do it right. And I just have a feeling it's going to be bad. I think they actually exceeded my expectations here. I like that at the very beginning when Owens entered Raw Underground, they didn't forget the feud with Shane McMahon when they showed them together. <laughs> when I, it, Some people uh, said on, on Twitter that it was strange that Owens was looking, sorry, that McMahon was looking for Owens when he had already welcomed in, him in there. In kayfabe, though, this is a different Raw Underground than the one we got in the Performance Center. So it doesn't seem like it's just a door to a small office where all this is happening. So I was okay with, like, suspending the disbelief where Owens is going to the bathroom or wrapping yeah, his wrists yeah, or stretching yeah. or something like that. So whatever, get that, get that out of here. But then the fight starts, and it's a brawl, and it's freaking awesome, but we get 45 seconds of it. And I'm like, you cannot tell me that they promoted this pre-show for 45 seconds because what they didn't tell us after they got separated or after they were down outside was that it was gonna continue. And nothing they've done in the history of Raw Underground, Chris, has said to us, hey, they continue matches after commercial breaks or after other segments. So you're you, you're only left to think that this match is over. But the fact that we got two more segments of them brawling was really good. These were two big names. It was hard hitting action. Dabakato interfering at the end ensured that we still get a match between the two, though it is weird that they just both got their asses kicked by a bigger guy that I'm guessing it will not be followed up upon. This succeeded to me. Raw Underground was really good. I wish that they had kind of said, hey, you know, we're going to take a break, but we're going to be right back with these two and we're going to do three rounds or something like that. But other than that and that suspension of disbelief of it stopping and restarting, I loved it. I thought it was brutal, and it made both guys look really good.
1: Yeah, I, I like the idea of Raw Underground being a place where people can just kind of, like, let their anger out at each other. Like, you guys need to go fight this off. Go to Raw Underground and just, like, brawl for a minute. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and and Aleister Black, was, I think, was a better fit there. Kevin Owens was kind of trying to do wrestling moves a little bit while, while um, you know... It, the best of raw underground has just been guys just really just literally brawling with each other. And and that's kind of what you got with, with Don and So did you see Kevin Owens raw talk promo? Yes. It was awesome. Yeah. So he, yeah, he, he stands up on the, on the, 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 the table podium, whatever you call it, the stage, whatever it's called. And, and um, basically cut a promo on Don Makedo needing to ask exactly what his name was, saying that Don Makedo was trying to get over, make a name for himself by, by beating up Kevin Owens. So it seemed to me like they're hinting that maybe we get a Kevin Owens-Don Makedo, uh, Makedo Raw underground match next week or something, but um, an, an, you know as maybe a little side plot to the Kevin owens Alistair Black thing, if, if that keeps going or not. So it was just a nice little, a nice little tangent for this
0: story, I thought. I got to be honest, that promo on Raw talk, and this was a really good Raw talk, by the way. So you guys should watch it if you did not. It, If they had done it on the main show, it would have said to me that Kevin Owens is the leader of retribution because he was talking about mm. being overlooked. And ever since he beat Rollins and he had those two injuries, he's been basically thrown into shit feuds that haven't really mattered. And he's been forgotten about. And I'm watching it and I'm like, man, that's something that a, a leader of retribution would say. And he was just nailing it. It was really passionate, off the cuff. And Owens is great. I mean, Owens doesn't need script and he's not scripted generally. Yes, he is. He is
1: so good at just basically sounding like a normal person when he talks. He he, he'll forget a word and he'll he'll just like roll with it. He'll forget it. Right. Someone It, it, it just it all sounds natural and you believe it more when it's like that, when it's not perfectly fine tuned and everything.
0: But it was, yeah, it was really good. I think Lee did himself a favor on Raw Talk. I think Owens did as well. I love the Char Truth, uh, Charlie Caruso and R-Truth as hosts. They're really funny. It was good. It's a really good show. You guys should definitely check it out, especially this particular episode. But again, these are things that, and I know WWE does share them on social media, the full audio so that people can see them. But these are things you want on the show. When you watch Mm -hmm. a three-hour Raw and you say to yourself, why does the next thing I'm going to talk about momentarily happen? Um, And you say, well, why can't you just get this type of Kevin Owens promo? Or why can't you get Keith Lee talking for two or three minutes saying what he had to say? But instead, what they give us is a six-man tag team match followed by an eight-man tag team match one hour later with the same people in it. And we're going to talk about that now. The main storyline throughout this entire thing is Cedric Alexander finally turning heel on Apollo Crews and Ricochet. So they had a Six-man tag team match scheduled, but Alexander gets attacked during his entrance by the Hurt Business. Then once the match starts, he gets knocked off the apron by Shelton Benjamin. And I guess that was enough to piss him off. He pulls Ricochet down, beats the crap out of him, turns on Apollo Crews, and then at the end, kind of stares down the Hurt Business with a smirk on his face. So it was a clear, clear heel turn in the moment. That was a long time coming. But I thought it was nice that they left it ambiguous with the Hurt Business and they didn't just kind of Form them all together right there. Then a little bit later, you have the VIP lounge, and Benjamin is right—you know—right before the segment, not trusting Cedric Alexander. I actually like that wrinkle to the crew coming together because why should you just believe that this guy's who, this guy who's been steadfast against joining your group, your faction now, by the way, uh, is suddenly accepting of it, right? So I like that Shelton was iffy about it. But then you finally get in the ring, and after all this, Cedric Alexander gets the mic. And he has his big moment in promo and it's going pretty well. And then all of a sudden, Ricochet, Cruz and the Viking Raiders come down and waste the new faction out of the ring in 10 seconds. Then they go to commercial break. And when we come back, we have an eight man tag team match, like less than an hour or within an hour of the six man that we already had with the Hurt Business against the Viking Raiders, Ricochet and Apollo Cruz. This only had two different people than the match earlier. Instead of what they should have done is ended at the VIP segment because now you see her business all together. You have the faces, you know, kind of uniting to form against them. And then you announce, hey, next week on Raw, we're going to have a huge 8-man tag team match, her business against these teams. Instead, they just gave it to us right there. I don't know why you wait, why you don't wait. Let it breathe. Let us wonder about Cedric Alexander, if it's going to work together. Whatever. This match ends up being nothing special. Ivar gets hurt. Seemed like he had a stinger. MVP may have been hurt also. They call an early finish because of Ivar. Ricochet didn't get the memo that they were going to an early finish. Kicks out at two. So they botched the finish. The match was rough. The storyline sucked. Cedric turning was okay. This was an absolute mess. And again, when you have good quality content, like promos from Keith Lee and Kevin Owens that can happen on Raw Talk, but you give me this crap for multiple segments over the course of Raw. And it's a repetitive storyline that they've been telling for like four or five months, four months, three months, four months at this point, three months, three months at this point. I'm just, I'm so done with it. I like the Hurt Business. I like Apollo Crews. I like all of these people, but I'm done. I want different people fighting each other. I want different feuds. They need to change this up.
1: First, we need to throw up the faction siren or something because we have ourselves. A we faction, have a faction. Yes. And that official. is worth celebrating. Official four people plus is a faction. I like that they had a T-shirt ready and they gave it to him. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of the give yep. someone a T-shirt when they join your group bit of pro wrestling. Uh, I like that MVP was bouncing up and down when Cedric Alexander turned and had this giddy look on his face. Uh, but. Yeah, this was like three weeks of story in one in one episode. And if it had if they had not botched the end, I, I would have said, hey, maybe they clearly have a plan and they're going to move forward and they're trying to just fit all this in and move on. Uh, but now if we're, if we're going to keep doing Hurt Business versus Apollo Cruz stuff going into, I don't know, Clash of Champions or something, if I mean, Bobby Lashley is going to have to defend that belt, I, I guess, maybe. Maybe it's Apollo Cruz again. I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. But, you know, I, there was a lot of this I liked. Some of it I didn't. I'm 100% with you, just like the Mysterio Seth Rollins feud, that we need to move on to something else. It, it, it's good that Cedric did this. I guess, you know, they they needed to address what happened. Maybe they're trying to move past it now with what they did on Monday. I, I, I don't know. I, I do need it to move on. I like the Hurt Business when they were in control of Raw Underground for like a week or two, a little bit that one time. And they're kind of just bouncing all over the place. So figure out what to do with the Hurt Business. That's not
0: feuding with Apollo Crews, because I really like them. Yeah, it's weird. It's like they're a faction and they're really strong. So ideally, Lashley should be going back after Drew McIntyre. But now Lashley's the United States champion. So and there's no other there's no one else on Raw now that has been established as a potential challenger for the mid-card title other than Apollo Cruz. Like, you have plenty of people, okay? You have, obviously, Rollins is a heel, but I'm, I'm just saying, let's just say, you have Rollins and Aleister Black and Kevin Owens and Mustafa Ali, you know, exists. There's, there's so, D- Dolph Ziggler is there. There's so many people who can, Andrade, who can challenge for a mid-card title, but no one's going after it. There's no number one contendership matches. It's just... The same thing week after week, and at least with the Rey Mysterio situation, at least with that, it progressed into Dominic wrestling. So there was something that changed. They were a tag team. Dominic wrestled. Murphy's kind of on the outs now with Rollins. It's going somewhere. Yes, technically, this storyline is developing as well. Cedric did turn. Yes, Apollo did lose the title, but it's it's not interesting It's not exciting. I I like Apollo. I like that Cedric Alexander turn. But is that going to do business? No, it's a nice, you know, subplot. But I just don't know what they're doing. And and it was really disappointing to see them, like I said, and like you said, shove two or three weeks of storylines into a single show. I say two weeks because they could have done the six man in the VIP lounge. And then they could have done the eight man next week. But I don't need three segments of this. Every single week, give me one. That's fine. Start utilizing other people who aren't on TV. Build up your tag team division. Um, get some m- of the other m- women on TV. Like, just
1: do anything else. Make a tag team out of this. Like,
0: have
1: have Cedric Alexander and Shel Benjamin go for the tag belts. Like, they want all the gold. Right. Or something like I- I'm okay with getting multiple segments of MVP on my screen. He has been of one of course, my absolute yes,
0: He has been yes. one of the
1: best people on Raw during this whole pandemic thing. Whenever he's on the mic, I am paying attention. Uh, just let them do something different now well, if, or, if or, or more or more. Maybe, maybe maybe Lashley and Apollo do feud, but also the Hurt Business is, is going for the tag belts or something like that. Right. Like Have them do a lot of stuff because there's a lot of potential for this group. Don't shoehorn them into just a ton of more Ricochet
0: and, and, and Apollo stuff. No, that's exactly right. It, the whole point of having a faction is that they are entertaining and good and can be involved in multiple things, but they need to be involved in multiple things. They need to not have a singular focus. They need to have a varied focus and you're right. The tag team titles and the mid card title is a really good start. Then if Lashley ends up losing the mid card title, you have him go after the main event title. That's how you do it. And instead they're just, they're, they're they're treading water every single week. The other thing that's interesting and we will talk about them later, so I don't mean to bring it up now, but it looks like we're going to have two heel factions on one show with no face factions so that's going to be interesting how do you deal with that when you don't have a lot of faces on raw to begin with how do you make that work all of that's going to be really interesting for a moment let's flip over to smackdown and talk the firefly funhouse which is a very short segment but i liked that it was a good tease to introduce a new character they're basically telling you hey make sure you tune in next week i know you guys love the firefly funhouse there's going to be a new segment then You have Alexa Bliss later in the show, I think actually immediately after that, with instead of having one or two dreadlocks in her hair, has like four or five or six. And while she's talking, you see Rambling Rabbit pop up in the background watching her. I wish this segment took place earlier in the show, but aside from that, they have managed to kind of extract Roman Reigns from The Fiend with the title and allow The Fiend to be involved in something very intriguing with a woman who we really like and kind of wanted to be involved in something a little bit juicier than just being a girl who drinks coffee or a happy-go-lucky or a heel who always wins.
1: Yeah, Alexa's been great. Um, She was on Talking Smack afterward as well. So she's been killing it. Um, Curious to see where this goes. Yes, and it's good to have Bray move into something Way off the beaten path. If 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 he's going to be out of the title feud now, if they're going to do a character type of reset where he doesn't care about the title necessarily, like we talked about earlier, uh, this is a good way to do
0: that. Now we also had Sami Zayn, Jeff Hardy, and AJ Styles get into a brawl. You know, this was nothing really to write home about, but I thought it was a perfectly fine segment. I really liked Sami Zayn complaining about his entrance graphics <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. Greg Hamilton's announcement on the microphone. The Hardy and Styles brawls were kind of rushed, it seemed. But the match makes sense. It does, from a theoretical standpoint, it makes sense that Styles wants and almost deserves a rematch because Hardy won with his brace. Hardy is the champion. Zayn is back as the champion who never lost. So for them to do a triple threat match, potentially a clash of champions, that's a match that I think would be awesome. Those, these are three great wrestlers. And if this is the storyline that they're doing, then I'm all for it.
1: Yeah, S- Sammy is so good at uh, on the mic. And especially... When Jeff Hardy's not that great on the mic, AJ's pretty good. Um, Sammy can really be the kind of guy to kind of talk around this whole thing, that that whole bit where he, he's asking who's the who's running the floor today. He grabs the headphones, talks to the production truck. He's just he's just it, it, him and Kevin Owens are so great at just talking like normal people and sounding like how normal people would react given the situation. So we, we mentioned it. Whatever day it was when Sammy came back, I love the idea. Hey, I never lost as as the champion. I I want it back. Thought they should do that with the cruiserweight and some of the other belts that they had. Those same situations for this is a UFC type of situation where you have an interim champion and then they fight and you have a real champion. And you know, I I I think I also think it helps. You know, we hate this Intercontinental Belt. The physical belt. We hate the design, oh, I, awful. but I think having two different people carry it and really emphasize this belt will help how people view that belt um, by just seeing it more and more on your screen, having it something that two people have it and they claim that they have it. It matters to them. I think that will help the idea of the belt. It, it, it kind of feels like they're running back, you know, Shawn Michaels, Roman Reigns type of deal um, with with this belt, with I guess three people now. So Razor know, Ramon,
0: you mean, what did I say? <laughs> Roman Reigns. <laughs>
1: yeah. Razor Ramon. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> good Lord. I would love a Shawn Michaels, Roman Reigns match. <laughs> that's right.
1: Yes. It. Razor Ramon. I just, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it was a good segment. It, it'll take us to where we need to go. I like the idea that, you know, they're, they're they're really trying to get the intercontinental belt back to be the worker's belt. And I, I think that's a step in direction in the right direction
0: considering how awful that belt still looks. It does. It really does look awful. Now, I've been very light on the sound drops over the course of this show, but I have a feeling business is going to pick up in that regard because I want to talk about the women's wrestling matches on Raw this past Monday night. And you guys know on this show, there's no one that's been happier with the development of women's wrestling in WWE than me. But there were two segments of the three in particular that I thought were absolutely dreadful. You had Oscar and Mickey James, I don't know why I said Oscar like that, but Oscar and Mickey James beat Natalia and Lana. So before this match, they announced that Mickey James is getting a title shot against Oscar next week on television for literally no reason whatsoever. It made zero sense. I mean, I think Mickey said, "Hey Oscar, I'm going to be going after your title at some point." And yes, theoretically Mickey James is a legend but she's been back a couple of weeks and she's done absolutely nothing. So this made zero sense. The match itself, this tag team match, I guess was okay because it told a tension story between Mickey and Asuka, which was developing their title match next week. But man, oh man, Lana is awful in the ring. Again though, the key here is why is James getting a title shot and why is she getting it on Raw when you could build it up as this legendary women's wrestler going up against Asuka at a pay-per-view that needs Asuka to have a women's challenger. I guess theoretically Natalia could get mad and interfere, and maybe they'll do a triple threat with Natalia, Mickey James, and Asuka at the pay-per-view. But this was badly booked. The match was bad. Of course, Asuka's always good, but I have no choice in this regard point 0. zero, Mr. Blutarski. Yeah, I I think we're gonna get to
1: Asuka Natalia for Clash of Champions. Maybe Mickey James is in there. Maybe she's not, maybe she's just meant to string this along a little bit. Um yeah, it, just you know, there's there's not a lot of depth. There's no depth on the raw women's roster, and now that the, the, the tag team thing is going on, uh there's nothing for Asuka to do. And it feels like they've just kind of been trying to string this along to get to something. I assume that's going to be Asuka versus Natalia and, and and maybe somebody else. But it's obviously not much and I don't expect it to be much.
0: Yeah, like with having Sasha play such a big role, Sasha Banks, in the Raw Women storyline and then removing her from it, it, it hurts any momentum they may have had for challenges to be built up. Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, all these other people. They've split so many tag teams and they've created new ones and They took two potential challenges for Asuka in Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler and thrown them into a tag team when you're like, wait a minute, Shayna Baszler said she was going to be the number one contender, right? So, so they've left Asuka just dangling. Now it's not the end of the world because Asuka's a strong champion and it's great that she is the champion and has been built extremely strong since that WWE lost Becky Lynch to, to the pregnancy. But yeah, it just feels like, again, treading water in the women's division and it's disappointing and talking about disappointing the Peyton Royce, Billy K match. So they're no longer allowed to be teammates. They're no longer allowed to be a tag team. But that doesn't mean they're not allowed to be friends anymore. So they're no longer partners. And now they're fighting one week after bawling their eyes out from splitting up. There was no backstage segment setting it up or anything like that. The match itself was bad. They work as a team, but they do not click whatsoever going against each other. Then Peyton hugs Billy after beating her one week after throwing her to the Wolves in Raw Underground. That didn't make sense last week. It didn't make sense this week. I guess the point is to push Peyton Royce as a single star, but they had her first match against her partner and it wasn't very good. Let's go. Let's go two for two. Two for Tuesday. Zero. Point
1: zero. Yeah, you know the actual execution did nothing for me. I I, I kind of get the idea. I, I guess if you're not going to have these two really feud, and clearly they're going to, I guess, have them keep being friends. You know, we were a little confused after their breakup based on what Tom Phillips said, whether they were allowed to be friends or not. So I, I think they're going back to they're still friends they were put in this match against each other, you know, for their first singles run, it happened, you know, they didn't want to hurt each other, their friends, whatever. It does absolutely nothing for whatever they want to do for Peyton Royce, but maybe it was just an attempt to fix the problems at the end of last week uh, when, when we were all very confused about what all this meant. Because that was a, that was a heel move by Peyton Royce to throw a friend into Raw Underground, and I, I guess maybe they want to keep her – face and and so therefore i don't know this felt like an attempt to just kind of rewrite what happened uh after they broke up or had to had to break up i guess
0: yeah it just it's it's confusing it seems like it seemed like there was a plan to break them up and maybe there is maybe peyton's going to be challenging for the raw women's championship sooner than we think but it wasn't evident based on the way this has been booked the last two weeks that it just seems rushed and, and terribly done and The women's division has been has been booked way better than that as of late, though, I guess on Raw, you can say, well, hey, what did you expect considering the finishes that they gave us for those Oscar Banks matches? Why would you expect this to be any better? Maybe, but I don't know. I I was just disappointed. Um, I was really disappointed in this on moving back to SmackDown. We had heavy machinery defeat Miz and Morrison, I thought it was a fine, quick match. Nothing to get excited about. I definitely prefer the Vader bomb that Otis did as the finisher, as opposed to just ending it with the stupid caterpillar elbow, that's a move that they can give a really good name to. You know, As a tag team, I think they have the compactor as a finish. You can figure out a heavy machinery construction type of name to give a Vader bomb for Otis. Um, and I think that would be great. As far as Morrison stealing the Money in the Bank briefcase, at first I thought it was really silly and stupid because it doesn't it, just him stealing it doesn't mean that he's gonna be able to cash it in, but it was pretty decent all things considered from a comedy standpoint because on SmackDown they paid it off immediately and they showed exactly what I begged them to do last week when we talked about WWE, which is that Otis is now gonna carry the lunch pail <laughs> instead of the co- instead of the briefcase. The briefcase was filled with snacks and office supplies and whatever, and the lunch pail has his money in the bank contract so it was a very smart way to show that switch i love that he's now carrying the lunch pail i don't really have a lot of positive sound drops i keep saying that i will add them to the show let's go with this this is such good shit that was really good shit i
1: liked it no and yeah as soon as he steals it morrison steals a briefcase you're like well, that's not how this works. And then they immediately address, when they go back, they immediately address it. Miz says to him, he goes, "You know, you're not Mr. Money in the Bank just because you stole the briefcase." <laughs> and you know, I I thought the Miz and Morrison humor has been kind of hit and miss because they're they're different kinds of funny. I think Morrison's been great. I still want to see some sort of singles run out of him. He he he. I, I really enjoyed him in pretty much anything he's been. Uh, doing. So yeah, it was a funny little bit. It gets us to the money in the briefcase uh, uh, m- or money in the lunchbox uh, type of thing. So yeah, yeah it, it was a, it was re- it was funny. I, I have to give him credit. It was funny. And that was
0: I, I imagine that's kind of all the purpose was. I had largely been out of Morrison and his comedy, but the last I think two or three weeks, I'm back Like ever since that backstage segment where Sonia Deville attacked Mandy Rose and they cut that promo and heavy machinery was was right there. Ever since then, I've been exceedingly enjoying the Ms. Morrison and heavy machinery storyline. So, Morrison's funny as like a as like a dumb funny.
1: Yes. Ms. is like a mean funny.
0: Yes. There's different kinds. And so when we got to highlight this Morrison being dumb type of thing, it was pretty funny. Both of them being smart and doing things together doesn't work for me. Morrison being dumb is like a dumb, like pretty boy type of, you know, Guy, that works for me totally. Like a dumb jock almost type of type of deal. Um, The model, actually, like a Zoolander type of character that works for me with Morrison. Uh, We also just to cover all our bases, they did the quick women's vignette with the Louboutin heels and the fur coat. It was nothing special. I don't think it's Mandy Rose. A lot of people were speculating that. I happen to think it's either Vanessa Bourne or Chelsea Green. I don't know which one. I don't know if you have anything to say about it, but always like little teases, quick vignettes. I hope. That is the sign of things to come. And they keep kind of building it slowly, a little bit, a little bit. And then after maybe Clash of Champions, we get another woman debuting on the roster.
1: Yes. And I don't want to be spoiled on whatever this is. Anytime there's surprises, there's always, we always figure out who it is. And I'd rather just be surprised whenever it happens. Yeah.
0: You know what? I want to be also. I want to be surprised on this as well. And uh, a couple more things before we get out of here. Staying with the women. So they decided uh, during Raw to announce they were going to have a couple two-on-one handicap matches with the riot Squad going head-to-head with Shayna Baszler, and then going head-to-head with Nia Jax. And immediately, the pessimist in me took over, okay? I'm just going to admit it. I said, I cannot believe the only established women's tag team they actually still have across both brands, they're going to feed to the individual members of the women's tag team champions. I was pissed. I was like, this is so stupid. I can't believe they're doing it. Well, Shut my mouth, okay? Because (laughs) this was way better than I expected. There was a lot of stuff on Raw I didn't like. I mentioned it. You guys heard about the other women's matches. I really liked this, okay? I come in thinking that we're going to see the champions roll them two on one and absolutely destroy them. Nope. What do we get? We get Liv Morgan pinning Shayna Baszler. Huge. She's only the fifth woman in WWE slash NXT to beat Baszler clean. (laughs) Liv Morgan. So, Okay, thumbs up on that. And then you have them going up against Nia Jax and you're trying to think, all right, so they're gonna have Jax win. Nope, they don't do that either. They turn off all the lights and they have Retribution show up. Now we'll talk about Retribution momentarily, immediately actually after this. But in terms of the two-on-one segments and showing some dissension between Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, it really worked for me. And I think it speaks to what I was guessing when they... Put the titles on them, and it was, hey, maybe they only had Jax and Baszler be the ones to win the titles because they need a strong set of transitional champions to and someone that when Banks and, and Bailey lose it, it makes sense that they lose it to them. Where Riot Squad, maybe it's a bit of an upset. Baszler and Jax, not really an upset. It made sense that they won.
1: Yeah, it's I think that makes sense. It's been a it's been a weird couple of weeks for Jackson Baszler. I mean, Shayna Baszler literally pinned or submitted the tag team champs by herself. Then they win as a team. Then Shayna loses. And I know it's a handicap match, but seeing her, you know, tap out the champions at the same time and then lose to Liv Morgan was still a little weird. Not the biggest deal in the world. I think I think it's overall it'll be okay, but um Yeah, it was a roll up. up. I mean, that's the thing. That's right. That's the way they tell it's a roll up. You can get around it, okay? You know, I just they are probably transitional champs. It's just it's so weird with these women's tag teams because it's always like there's only one tag team to feud with. Okay, if the Riot Squad's going to win the tag belts, maybe a cluster champions. Then what do they do? It's always so weird because you it's hard not to telegraph what the plans are because there's only so few things going on at one time, but, you know, it was fine. I, I'm actually enjoying the Shane and Naya back and forth type of stuff. So yeah, think it was pretty good.
0: Yeah, now we'll get to that actually momentarily. Um, but before we do, real quick, let's talk about Retribution. Finally makes itself known. The segment ended uh, because we got some supplemental stuff with Retribution. We got some things that are more than screaming, yeah, and turning off lights and just attacking people. We got a logo. It's not great, but it's okay. We got a logo. We got a promo and seemingly it looked like they're going to be five or six members. The promo was a little bit too scripted for my taste. Yeah, but it was also successful in in getting us interested in the faction. It was blatantly obvious to me that two of the people standing there in that group were Dominic Dijakovic and considering he's going to be in this group and not doing, I guess, the gimmick he had in NXT, hopefully they changed that stupid name. And Mia Yim, you could see her eyes clear as day, so you knew it was them. The voices were Dijakovic, and the other ones seemed to be Mercedes Martinez, which may be a little bit of a spoiler for NXT Super Tuesday, considering she has a big match coming up with Rhea Ripley. But I got excited by this. Like, I don't, they didn't save Retribution. It's still not good. But I said last week, I I ranted, Chris, and I ranted about Raw Underground. I ranted about Retribution and a couple other things. And I can't be mad that they did a couple of things I ranted about. They gave him a logo. They gave him a purpose. They had him cut a promo. And it looks like they refined the number of people. So that's a step in the right direction as far as I'm concerned.
1: So I I decided to look up on the WWE YouTube channel um, all the clips from Raw. And whenever there's a big thing that makes an impact, it'll have a lot of views. Like uh, the 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 um, something from SmackDown here had more than oh yeah, Jey Uso Roman Reigns backstage three million views. Roman Reigns Paul Heyman promo two point nine million views. Most of them are in the one to two to three hundred thousands of views. The Retribution promo two hundred thirty one thousand views. That's less than the Drew McIntyre attacking Randy Orton backstage. So my sense is this did not, it it was not an impact moment, debut, whatever, what have you. I know they haven't debuted, debuted, but, but in terms of their first statement did not click. Uh, it doesn't seem like with, with fans, my thoughts, they should have started with the deep voice guy. The first person who talked, whoever that was, You weren't totally sure that their voice was being altered because it was it sounded a little it sounded a little weird when the when the big guy talked deep voice clearly altered. That should have been the person talking the whole time. That was a much more, I think, impactful, ominous sounding voice. I don't like that. They said the words that that person said the word superstars, something like, you know, we're going to lay waste to the superstars or something like that. Like I hate when they say the word superstars, like. This idea that they're supposed to be outsiders or something, or just, or, 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 or they're fed up with WWE, but they're still going to use the WWE-approved vocabulary kind of annoyed me. Um, I don't know who these people are. I don't want to know who these people are. I know we've talked about who these people probably are, so I'll deal with it. Uh, as someone who only periodically watches NXT, uh, I, I think that helped. And as this promo was going on, I kind of fantasy-booked in my head, what if these were five people who had been fired back in four months ago or whenever that was. And they wanted retribution for that kind of like the, the Drake Maverick uh, angle type of thing. I thought that would have been cool. Other than that, I don't really know where retribution is going to go. I, I guess they'll be upset that they were in NXT and they want to be on the main roster. You're going to kind of have to address that. If, if this is the angle they're going to take that they have, that they got scraps from WWE and they want more, uh, w- w- we'll have to see. But, I was not as interested in this as as apparently you were.
0: Well, no, for me, it was. The promo was scripted, but it felt like it was an angle of they're here and they don't really care what anyone thinks. They don't care about what the Internet has to say about them. It seems like it's almost a little bit of a work shoot in that regard. And as far as who's in it, like I said, I mean, I would be absolutely floored if it's not Dijakovic and Mia Yim. Like, I saw them, you know, under those masks. I know what they look like, like superior. So I mean, it, it is always possible that they were just bodies filling time. Yes, there were there were moments but, when there were
1: like 10 of these people.
0: That's true. But it, I've seen them multiple times now and including in the promo. So them two, I'm pretty sure of. And the woman had an accent and it sounded a hell of a lot like Mercedes Martinez. So... I think I think I have three of the five. I think the other guy, one of the other tall guy is Dio Madden, that's four. So then you're really like, who are the one or two other people? At least that's how it is in my brain. So I'm not excited about it from a standpoint that I think it was good or that I think it's changed it on a dime and all of a sudden retribution's gonna be awesome. But I am excited that it's at least moving forward in some degree and we might get some type of resolution finally where we can see, Rather than wonder, is this going to be a total failure like it seems, or can they pull it out of their ass? We're closer to finding that out. So that's the only thing that's getting me excited—that it's developing. Whereas other storylines are stuck in the mud. This seems to at least be going somewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, it—it it, it finally is something after a couple of weeks of nothing. I also think it's incredibly weird that that these people are now basically raw exclusive, <laughs> right? Right. And 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 they're using the word superstars. I don't know. May, maybe. Maybe SmackDown can announce that like they've secured the best security in the world and they know Retribution will never be coming back to SmackDown or something. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know. It, it is it, a better fit.
0: It is a better fit on Raw due to the type of show it is due to Raw Underground. The fact that it's three hours, so there's more time for them to exist. But it is weird that their show exclusive after they were not and we're doing most of their destruction on SmackDown. Yeah, they were better on SmackDown. They were, they were better on SmackDown. Uh, But in terms of the word superstars, and I've heard other people say that as well as you, this is what I'm going to say. In the promo, that may have been like from a sarcastic standpoint, like you're a superstars type of deal and maybe it wasn't delivered properly. But yes, if it wasn't, then a group coming in from quote unquote, the outside to disrupt things, calling people superstars, it's stupid. Yes, you're hundred percent right. They should not be stuck to the WWE vernacular. Um, if they're supposed to be an anarchist group, that doesn't make any sense. So I will give you that one. I did want to finish up here talking about the tag team picture, men and women, both brands, but I thought a microcosm of it was what happened Monday night. You had the street profits defeat Andrade and Angel Garza in what I think was a non-title match. It boggled my mind that last week the feud was still going on. Then this week to see it still going on, I just couldn't believe it. I was rolling my eyes. I was like, but why the was, hell are they doing this? And and there was, correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't see Demi Burnett this time. No Demi Burnett on the entire show. And guess, guess what happened? I'm Angel Garza was involved in something bad. Ivar got hurt. So maybe they need her. Maybe she's like some, <laughs> some magical person who keeps everyone together. But I rolled my eyes at this. I kept thinking, okay, fine. They're going to use this to break up Andrade and Garza but they never break them up. So how many times is Garza going to screw Andrade or vice versa and they're still going to team together? I thought they figured it out when they had the title match and they were going to take the titles off the Street Profits. But they're still together despite them, neither of them wanting to team, neither of them supporting each other. They don't have a tag team move. Nothing's happening, right? So that happens. Then Street Profits win, obviously, because Garza walked away. So now you have Andrade lose another match. Then Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura come out and they say they're out there as part of the quarterly brand-to-brand invitational. Quick pause there, Chris. And I'm gonna say, so far so good because the last time they did this with Charlotte Flair, et cetera, they said it was gonna be quarterly. We had not seen it for about three months. This is quarterly. So they're sticking, again, did WWE break the brand split by doing this? Yes, they did. But they're sticking to it in storyline and they're not insulting our intelligence by there have been three months removed from the last one. So before we keep talking about it, you know, tell me what you think about the Garza and Andrade, but also about this brand split. I'm giving it a thumbs up because it's within that that storyline. It's it, it's within the k Yeah,
1: with Andrade and Garza, I'm just as with several things on Raw, like you got to do something different with these people there's not a lot of tag teams there's not a lot of women there's not a lot of there's just not a lot of depth in a lot of these divisions and it's leading to non-stop rematches i guess maybe hopefully who knows this is the end of andrade garza versus Street profits type stuff i'm excited about the idea of the tag team crossover match i think it'll be really fun um it's just it's hard not to think Oh, maybe they're pulling this back out again because there's literally nothing else to do in the tag team division. And it's kind of a break glass in case of emergency type of thing, which is, you know, it's fine. It'll be good. But, you know, you didn't need to do that if you had been if you had been executing
0: other things and building some depth. And that's the biggest issue. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about right now in terms of the the state of the tag team division as a whole before we get out of here. This will be our last topic of the day. So Shinsuke and Cesaro come out. They challenge the Street Profits for a champions versus champions match, but not for the pay-per-view called Clash of Champions, which would have made all the sense in the world to do that, but randomly on Raw next week. I'm guessing they're going to wind up on the pay-per-view because neither of them has anyone else to fight against. I guess technically Cesaro and Nakamura do have tag teams on SmackDown, but they're all busy doing other things. But Chris... If they end up fighting at Clash of Champions, considering the state of the WWE tag team division, as of today, there are seven active established male tag teams across both shows, three out of action, Uso's New Day and the Forgotten Sons, maybe four out of action if you want to include the Mysterios because Ray's hurt. But all you have are the champions, the Street Profits, the Viking Raiders, Angel and Andrade for now. It seems like they're headed to a split up. Cesaro Nakamura, Lucha House Party, Ms. Morrison, and Heavy Machinery. That's all you have because of everyone that's injured and out, and the fact that no one else has been established. We'll talk about the women in a second. But from a male standpoint, I have to hope that if they're going to do this match on the pay-per-view, it is to merge and unify the WWE tag team titles. I I, I think we've reached
1: that point. It has to happen. I've... I've been debating the same thing for the women's singles titles. I I think it's okay for now. Um, But absolutely, especially with the men's tag team titles, you got to unify this. You've got heavy machinery as a tag team, barely ever doing tag team stuff. You listed all the tag teams that look like they're on their way to breaking up. I, I think you have to unify them, whether that means... One team holds all four belts for the time being until things get back to normal, and they can split it back up again. Or you have a you go back to the the pennies, the black belts with the oh god, penny. no, no,
0: never. Hey, I, I hate the
1: tag. I hate, 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 hate this tag team belt design. We 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 trash the Intercontinental belt a lot. We really got to talk about how god awful these tag team belts have been and have been for a very long time, but. If you're going to unify them in a short term period, switching back to the black belts with the bronze versus holding all four of these belts, maybe. But I I am in a 100 percent agreement that they need to unify these tag team belts and move whoever
0: the champs are or from both shows, because there's just not enough going on. I never want to see those bronze titles again. Now, if you want to give me the black strap with the silver plate that you already have, I'm fine with that. I can but, do that. I, I mean, I wouldn't like that either. It would certainly be a step up, though. You know what I would really like? I'd like a male version of the Women's Tag Team Championship in it, with a black strap and bigger and maybe the design slightly different. But because, you know, you have the every other title almost has a ver- like the the main roster titles, the WWE Universal, Raw Women's and SmackDown Women's. Those are all versions of themselves. I think it'd be cool to do the same thing. But the Raw, the, the sorry, the Women's Tag Team Championship at the way it moves between brands, it in Kfabe gives flexibility to the roster yep. and it allows people to try to become contenders on both shows with those tag teams switching back and forth. And it's worked out pretty well because that division is so small. It's even smaller than the men's, obviously. The men's is so small now that A, it's a necessity. B, I don't want it to be temporary because while you have your brand split, the primary need for that is for the singles male and female. For the tag teams, the idea that the the team can go back and forth, it creates an exception within the kayfabe rule of the brand split. And it allows for some diversity on the shows, some things that you're not gonna expect to see, title changes, matches, contenders, etc. So I want them to merge the titles. I want them to make it permanent. And if that is the end result of this, then I'm okay with them giving away the first match of these on Raw. But they need to do it at Clash of Champions, and they do need to merge the titles. On that note, quickly about the Smack the uh, I keep saying SmackDown. On the women's tag team championships, as of today, there are four active women's tag teams because they split up Bailey and Sasha Banks, and they split up the Iconics both of them last week. You have Baszler and Jax, who are the champions temporarily. You have the Riot Squad, which in my opinion is, is the only remaining definite, legit tag team. Alexa Bliss and Cross, who seems like are going to split again, even though they've been an established team. And then Natalia and Lana, who are established, but really have no business contending for the titles. So the women's tag team picture that looked like they were building and it was getting pretty strong, that's been torn apart. The men's tag team picture is a shell of its former self, which wasn't even good to start. Don't even get me started about the NXT tag team picture. We're just in a really rough time for tag teams in WWE, even rougher than it normally is. And I think step one, Chris, is unifying these men's titles.
1: Yeah, obviously they're working with limited people, to wrestlers at this time. But, you know, Carmella and Dana Burke, they were a tag team for a little bit, right? I, I think they were in there. Um, but you don't see them even on TV anymore. So... Yes, you're going to have to unify some belts and move people between shows. And and doing that allows you to get away from stuff that's like a cross brand invitational or Sasha or I mean, Charlotte having a special clause or or whatever. If you just unify it, maybe it's permanent, maybe it's not. We'll see when things get back to normal and you have a much deeper pool of people to work with. But yes, it'd be better if you have a handful of people in these divisions, especially the tag team divisions just be able to bounce back and forth. It's the only thing you can do at this point, I think.
0: I totally agree. So that is it for today's WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It does, Chris, feel very good to be back to normal. I love doing the instant analysis for you guys, but man, with three pay-per-views in as many weeks, the Silver King was absolutely, I should say, I was gonna say actually exhausted, absolutely exhausted. And now I'm able to catch up on a little sleep, but NXT and AEW, not making it that much easier for me because because of the NHL playoffs, we are gonna have NXT Super Tuesday, where Adam Cole will fight against Finn Balor for the vacant NXT championship. You'll also have Shayna Baszler against Mercedes Martinez in a steel cage match. And then on Wednesday, you'll have AEW Dynamite. Not much announced to this point, but it will be the show after AEW All Out and Tony Khan has promised a surprise. So we will discuss all of that on Thursday morning. I will not be doing a special quick NXT show. I'm going to save all the energy, all the talk for Thursday morning where we will break down what is usually the Wednesday night wars between NXT and AEW. But we are going to get out of here today. It has been a long show. Hopefully you think it has been a great show and if you do, please head over to Apple Podcast Leave us that five-star rating and review. And do not forget to follow us at Getting Overcast on Twitter. Now, I did tell you all the DM slides would be back in today's episode. The problem is, despite you guys always sending a ton of DM slides and tweets, you didn't really do that this week. So we'll see if it comes back Thursday. But when you guys have questions, we are here to answer them. The other thing that's coming back, someone special to say goodbye. Right now, and tell him about my Joe madness. tell him how strong it is, and tell him where we're going. Yeah, we into the twilight, zone, yeah, and I hope cody has got the chance, does he? No, no. does anybody have a chance with the Macho No. And more of the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived. Why? Okay, no, say goodbye. goodbye. Say goodbye. Okay, get out of here. Rock ready. ready. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. I will do it. Thank you, Randy Savvy. And thank you all for listening. I will speak to you on Thursday. Bye for now.